This has come to the table. Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. These studies are presented every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. at our church at 3800 East Pershing Boulevard in Cheyenne, Wyoming. If you'd like to contribute to these studies, you can make a donation at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne-WY-Giving. Proverbs. Last week, we described in great detail in chapter 7, beginning in verse 6, we described a scenario in which a man was lured into adultery with a woman. And, and it was elaborately described in these verses exactly what the situation looked like, what the state and the character of the, of the man and what the state and the character of the woman, particularly of the woman involved, uh, were like. And we covered that all the way down through the end of verse 23. And it concludes with this paragraph. This chapter 7 concludes with verse 24 uh, through verse 27. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Talking about the adulterous woman. Let not thine heart decline to her ways. Go not astray in her paths, for she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. So it brings that to a conclusion. Stay out of such situations and temptations as this. Have nothing to do with them. Don't let your heart even incline or decline to, to pursue those things because as we've been saying a lot lately, what begins in the heart and the mind is what manifests in our actions. All that we do, all that we say, begins as a notion in the mind as an, and as an impulse in the heart. So moving on then to chapter 8, we begin a detailed and a lengthy admonition to the value and to the results of wisdom. Now remember how the pattern of this has gone throughout the first seven chapters of the book of Proverbs. It'd be a general admonition concerning the value of wisdom and her worth. And then we get into more detailed teachings about what exactly are examples of wisdom. But chapter 8 seems to be almost in its entirety an admonition to the value of wisdom. So let's begin in verse, two, in verse 1. And we'll cover this with some speed because I think we can. Doth not wisdom cry? And understanding put forth her voice. She standeth in the top of high places by the way of the places of the paths. She crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city. Why does he mention the entry of the city? Well, it's the entry of the city that was a very bustling place of commerce and of custom. A lot of cities were walled and were defensed, and so you couldn't just drive into the city limits on your on the interstate these things didn't exist and so access was controlled there were soldiers there were armies there were um, there were things that controlled access in and out of a city and so at the place at the entrance of a city is a place of a lot of business a lot of I would actually say busyness there's a lot that was involved in it. It's where trade and custom began. Things came in, things went out. Goods, services, and all of that were hawked at the, at, the, uh, at the entrance of a city. She, speaking of wisdom, crieth at the gates, at the entry of the city, at the coming in at the doors. Unto you, O men, I call, and my voice is to the sons of man. O ye simple, understand wisdom, and ye fools, 
be of an understanding heart. Here, for I will speak of excellent things, and the opening of my lips shall be right things. For my mouth shall speak truth, and wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are in righteousness. There is nothing froward or perverse in them. They are all plain to him that understandeth, and right to them that findeth knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. Let me stop right there. This is wisdom personified. Speaking unto the foolish and unto the simple. Unto those who lack understanding and unto those that lack knowledge. And beginning in verse 10, she begins to... And again, it's, it's metaphorically speaking, wisdom is not a person, okay? But she's being personified here to emphasize the point and the value. Beginning in verse 10, she begins to attempt to open the eyes of those who lack understanding to reveal, to reveal, I hate to use the word profound because I, I, I use it a lot and I don't want to commit verbicide and, and strip it of all of its meaning through overuse, Okay. But she begins to attempt to open the eyes of the simple and of the foolish to a truth concerning wealth and wisdom. They're two very different things. Wealth and wisdom that even smart people misunderstand. They miss this. They miss this for their whole lives. There are people that are wildly successful in life, wildly successful in business and in financial matters and things like that, who never connect these two dots. They never get it in the right order. And she begins to reveal it to us today. Verse 10, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. She's making a difference here, a distinction between the wealth of the world which is neither good nor bad. It's just a tool. That's all money is. It's not good. It's not evil. It's just a tool like a hammer or an automobile or whatever. It's something that you use to accomplish things. Okay. She makes a distinction between the wealth of the world and its value and the value of wisdom and understanding. Verse 11. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things that may be desired are not to be compared to it. All the things that are that may be desired are not to be compared to it. I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and find out knowledge of witty inventions. It's almost a different paragraph here, beginning in verse 12. It's not really a change of subject, just seems like it. She says, I, wisdom, as a person, if I were a person... I dwell, I share a house with prudence, wisdom and prudence. They go hand in hand. Wisdom is that innate understanding that that, that operates, as we said before, it operates at a much deeper level than mere knowledge because knowledge is learned by, by a variety of different ways, book learning, instruction from other people. But wisdom operates at a much deeper and a much more instinctive level than knowledge. And it is acquired, it is acquired Almost entirely, not entirely, but almost entirely through experience. By living through things and going through things. Wisdom, this thing that, that, that operates at a much deeper level than knowledge, dwells with prudence. Well, what's prudence? Well, prudence could almost be, it could almost be 
describe, it's very much akin to wisdom. You could say that they're almost sisters, if, they, if not cousins, and they're, they're sisters. Prudence is the exercise of wisdom, and in exercising it, it's in making the right choices because of the wisdom that you possess, that you both possess and practice. So wisdom informs a man or a woman, this is something that you ought to do. Prudence then impels the person to do that thing. Wisdom informs the person, this is something you ought to steer clear from, all right? And prudence is what impels that person then to steer clear of it. They're very, very closely related. We could even call them sisters. She says, I, wisdom, dwell with prudence and finding out knowledge of witty inventions. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Counsel is mine. What's counsel? Advice. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. Let's meditate on these words tonight for just a little bit. Let's meditate on their import and, and I don't want to say severity, but on, on what they really are telling us. He's saying the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to despise it. Well, I thought that hate was a, was a dark side virtue. I thought it was, a, it was a vice. I thought it was a sin. Well, hatred for people is yes, but there's absolutely nothing wrong with hating something that is abhorrent. In fact, David, the psalmist over in the Psalms was very clear about that, said it, felt so strongly about it, he said it twice in the same psalm. I hate every false way. Wisdom here is depicted as hating evil or describing that the fear of the Lord, which is the reverence of the Lord, as well as actual fear of, you know, not crossing the line with him, though that should not govern us. It ought to be love and reverence. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It is to hate that condition. It is to hate that motivation. It is to hate that drive. That is the fear of the Lord. It is to hate evil. And then she goes on and says there in verse 13, Pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the froward mouth do I hate. Goes on and says, Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding. I have strength. If we haven't seen it in the first seven chapters, are we beginning to see it here in chapter 8? How priceless wisdom is. How priceless, how it cannot be bought with money. People try to, they try to buy wisdom all the time. They go to colleges. They think it's going to make them somehow wise. All they're really buying is classes and knowledge. And nowadays, what they're buying mostly is indoctrination. Okay? Not every university has fallen to that, but, but many, 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 many of them have, especially the state-run ones and the state-funded ones and so forth. You do still find some conservative ones that are out there. They can be found. It takes a little bit more searching, I think. But people try to buy wisdom, but they're only buying knowledge. You can't buy wisdom. You can't buy it with money. We are told to seek wisdom and to value wisdom more even than the wealth of this world. And I'm going to talk a little bit about, more, a little bit more about that uh, in a moment here. Wisdom has to be learned. I don't want to reduce this to some trite little saying, okay? But, but 
Maybe it's just coincidental. I haven't studied out the, entomo the, the etymology of it, okay? But you've got the word learned and you've got the word earned. And you can't spell learned without spelling earned. And wisdom is both. It is learned through, experienced, through experience. It is earned through experience. My wife recently told me that she, was, um, she liked her gray hair because she's earned it. And, uh, well, I think every one of us in here has some, some more than others. I know I've got more than I used to have. My wife has more than she used to have. Um, we've all got it. There's a reason why the Bible speaks very highly of gray hair, okay? Because most of the time, it means something. It means you've lived longer than the 20-year-old punk kid who doesn't know anything about anything but thinks he knows everything about everything, you know, except how to work. Uh, recently went to a McDonald's. And yes, this is going to be a crack on millennials, okay? And not all millennials fall into this bucket, but so many of them do that it has created this reputation. Recently went to a McDonald's and it, it was a crew and it was a crew entirely uh, filled by millennials. All of them, every single one of them, except the manager. Manager was the only one who wasn't in that bucket and he was not doing any better than they were. And I'm telling you, it took forever to get through the drive-thru. It was like watching the blind lead the blind. It really was. Uh, I'm not saying that as, I'm not saying that to hate. I'm not saying that, uh, that is, that is a dead level, honest uh, uh, analysis of what I saw. It was like watching the blind lead the blind. It's the most dysfunctional group of people that, that ever dared call themselves professionals. You say, well, why is that? Well, some of it's generational, but some of it's also just the fact that they're young. They have not learned. They have not earned. They do not possess wisdom. Not yet. Now, if they make the right decisions and if they do what the Bible instructs them to do and they value wisdom and seek wisdom. That's why we're taught to seek wise people and to keep company with wise people. And that'll come up a little bit later on, either in chapter 8 or chapter 9. Let's move on. So wisdom says in verse 15, By me kings reign and princes decree justice. By me princes rule and nobles and all the judges of the earth. What's she saying? Wisdom is the stuff that actually makes the world go round and function well. Wisdom. It's not money. Yeah, money makes things work, yes, but it's... You can pour money into a, into a foolish person's lap and it'll be gone and nothing flat. And that ties into what God, acting as wisdom through the mouth of Solomon, begins to instruct us here in verse 10. He goes on and says, in verse 17, I love them that love me, and those that seek me early shall find me. Riches and honor are with me, yea, durable riches and righteousness. Not just the kind of money that's easy come, easy go and gets swallowed up in any catastrophe of circumstance or of bad health or something like that. Durable riches and righteousness, he says here in verse 18. Verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, yea, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I lead in the way of righteousness and in the, in the midst of the paths of judgment, that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance, and I will fill their treasures. Right there, verse 21, that's the key. 
Begins in verse 10, culminates in verse 21. This is the secret that most people that live and die never, ever learn. They never pick up on this. If you chase money, money will flee from you. Even if you get money, tons of money, even if you're one of those that becomes filthy, just disgusting rich, it will eventually flee. It will eventually flee. But if you chase wisdom, then wisdom will empower you to earn and to build and to collect and to preserve. Remember, we must never forget this. And this was part of the afternoon Bible study today. Yes, Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus was teaching, uh, began teaching about um, ask and ye shall receive. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Seek and ye shall find. And how that opened up a, par- a paragraph long teaching that, ch- that changed his Jewish disciples' understanding about their relationship with God. How that it was not just supposed to be that of God and servant, but it was supposed to be that of father and his offspring. And it was a, it was a complete shift in there. It was a radical shift in their understanding uh, about what their relationship was supposed to be with God. And how and that actually ties into this because he goes on in that teaching to describe how if we, being natural people, love to give good gifts unto our children, the word that he used was if ye being evil, okay, because Christ had not yet died, the human condition could not yet change, not in those days. Jesus had to die in order to change us. We can, you know, with just a slight change of the language, it doesn't, it becomes a little bit more applicable to us, does not change the meaning at all. If we, being natural people, love to give good gifts to our own children, and even when we were in sin and we were evil, we still love to give good gifts to our children, how much more does our Father in heaven, how much more is He willing to give good things to those that love Him, good things to His children? So why are we bringing that up? Well, God is a wise Father, blesses his children according to what they can handle, right? This is a recurring theme throughout the Word. It's been a much more recurring theme lately in in teachings and in preaching. Wisdom, if we pursue wisdom, then wisdom will teach us not only how to earn, but what to do with it. Let me be very careful with this. This is not a teaching on gain is godliness. If you serve God, God will make you filthy rich. We are not saying that. Because the Bible doesn't say that. Okay? Because not everybody who's saved and not everybody who's righteous becomes rich. Can I get an amen? How many millionaires we have out there tonight? Not me. You might be. You might have some secret millions. And praise God if you do. All right? Don't forget to tithe. But... uh a little joke there, a little bit of humor to, to lighten things up. But gain, the Bible even warns us that, you know, to steer clear of people that try to get you to believe that the gain is godliness, that uh, material wealth and riches are somehow indicative of your relationship with God. So that's absolute rubbish because there are train loads of rich people that are on their way to hell. But it's not because they're rich, it's because they don't have a relationship with God. And there are lots of poor people that are on their way to heaven. But it's not because they're poor. It's because of their relationship with God. People mix that up a lot of times. They read about the rich man and Lazarus and all that, and they get it mixed up in their heads. The lesson here in the midst of this chapter 8 is that 
if you make money your priority, you've made the wrong priority. If you make money your op- if you make money your top priority, it'll find a way to flee from you every time. And one way that it one way that it does that is because a lot of people who are foolish but have the ability to earn, it's easy come, easy go. I worked with I worked for a man like that once. He had a tremendous earning potential. Uh, and, and not just potential. I mean, he had he had tremendous earning ability, and he did it. He owns a company and and uh, and was the chief sales agent there. Is pretty much the only one. But he could sell jobs. It's like the man could sell ice to Eskimos. He could really do it. He was that persuasive. And so he had tremendous ability to earn. But then the money would come in, and wisdom was just not in the house. It was not there. And so the money came in and it just burned right through his hands. It ran right through his hands like water, like you can't hold on to it. He could not hold on to it. He earned a lot and spent like all of it. And it's not to say that he's some pathologically wicked person or anything like that. It's just the dots don't connect in his mind. He doesn't pursue wisdom. He pursues money. And he's always pursuing money. And I mean always. And he does it out of necessity and he does it out of fear and he does it, he's trying to get on top of things, but there's no wisdom there. What wisdom is telling us, what God is telling us as the voice of wisdom here in chapter eight is if you pursue me, if you pursue wisdom, then not only will you earn, but then you will have the wisdom to know how to retain what you earn, how to spend, how to invest, how to hold on to. That will come with the learning of wisdom. I don't want to speak too awfully authoritatively on this, but it's the word of God. It's right in front of us. We can't just skip it. It's here for us. It's been preserved for thousands of years. And I mean thousands. This is Old Testament. This is Proverbs. So this is reaching back about 3,000 years here is what we're looking at. 3,000-year-old wisdom from the wisest man that ever walked the earth except our Lord Jesus. Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. Let's move on. I lead the way, verse 20. I lead the way of righteousness in the midst of the path, the paths of judgment that I may cause those that love me to inherit substance. That's where it's revealed right there. If you love wisdom, wisdom will cause you to inherit substance. And I will fill their treasures. If you love wisdom, wisdom will fill your bank account. Wisdom will fill your bank account. And is that not true? If we're foolish with our money, then boom, it's gone. As soon as we get it, it's right back out the door. I was told, this is a secondhand story, just to nail this point down. I was told that a certain, a certain man of God, when he first got saved and was new in the faith, he didn't understand, he didn't understand finances biblically. He didn't really understand yet what the Bible taught concerning such things. And so, uh, and he was a very high earning individual. He was very good at his job and, uh, and made a lot of money. He was, I forget exactly what he did for a living, but I believe it was in sales. And this was a long time ago when, uh, when uh, you could sell things and be honest. I think you still can today. It's just more challenging. He, um, so he would come to church and he would, and this was back in the 1950s, I think it was in the 1950s. He would come to church and every single offering, he dropped a $20 bill. Every single service, he put a $20 bill in that offering basket. In the 1950s, 
Now you adjust for infl inflation. He was dropping something close to, I don't know, what? What would that be, 50, 60, 100 bucks? In every single offering. He was just boom, 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 boom. Well, the pastor came and sat down with them and said, hey, um, brother, you know what the Bible says about tithes and offerings? And he taught him about tithing and he taught him about offerings. And he taught him the difference between the two. And, well, what did the man do? Well, the man took what he was taught and he implemented it and it ended up saving him money. It ended up saving him money. He was putting far more in than was actually wise for him to do. You know, and again, you know, please don't take this and run to an extreme with it. You know, we, the Lord appreciates, the church appreciates, the pastor appreciates all of the financial support of its people. It's what makes it all possible. It's what pays the bills. But it's a lesson on wisdom. It's a lesson on wisdom. The man of God instructed the new believer, hey, don't pour everything you've got into the offering plate. God's not trying to get you to do that. And so he taught him wisdom on the subject and it ended up saving the man a lot of money. The man started doing what the Bible actually instructed on the subject, started tithing, you know, continued to give in offerings, but not so exorbitantly that it threatened his own financial stability on a regular basis. So there was wisdom in there. Wisdom will cause those that love her to inherit substance and will fill their treasures. Moving on, verse 22. The Lord possessed me. This is wisdom speaking. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of His way. Before His works of old, I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. In other words, I, wisdom, am older than the world and I was with God. God possessed me when He made everything that was made. I was there. And the next few verses go on to, uh, in greater detail to that in that same lesson. Where there were, verse 24, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth. Yet, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world, when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he straightened the fountains of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree that the waters should not pass his commandment, when he appointed the fountain, when he appointed the foundations of the earth, then I was by him as one brought up with him. So you could almost say, if you take that at face value, verse 30, as one brought up with him, Wisdom is as old as God. Think on that. How old is God? Well, God is from everlasting to everlasting. He has no beginning of days. He has no end of life. He is eternal, not merely immortal. Immortal means you never die. Eternal means you've always been alive. That is God. And wisdom here says she was there. Now again, wisdom's not a person. We're not trying to make her out to be some kind of a deity. The Greeks missed the mark on that. They personified wisdom and actually uh, worshipped her as, they worshipped a god of wisdom. They, they personified her and then deified her. This is metaphorical. She's not a real person. She's only being represented here as speaking with a voice to try to get through to we who are now reading her word, reading his word, excuse me, God's word, on what her value really is. 
Wisdom is as old as God. As long as there has been God, there has been wisdom. What's that mean? God has never been a fool. And God has never been ignorant. And God has never been in any kind of a state of darkness in his mind or in his thinking. Then I was by him as one brought up with him. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. That's verse 30. Rejoicing in the habitable parts of his earth. And my delights were with the sons of men. Now therefore, verse 32, Now therefore hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. What is wisdom telling us here? God, as the voice of wisdom speaking to us here, saying, blessed is the man that heareth me, wisdom, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. Wait on wisdom. Seek out wisdom's habitation. And you have, you're in the house of God. Where else does greater wisdom abide than in the house of God? And that's God, okay? That's God. That's God's will. That's God's purpose. That's God's blessing and His gift to us. Waiting at the posts of my doors. So do we need a, do we need a further admonition to be in the house of God whenever the doors are open? It's there. But he that sinneth against me, verse 36, he that sinneth against me, this as wisdom speaking, he that sinneth against wisdom wrongeth his own soul and they that hate me Love, death. Well, that draws a pretty clear line, doesn't it? What are we learning about wisdom all the way up to this point from Proverbs chapter 1 through Proverbs chapter 8? If we reject wisdom, hate wisdom, resist wisdom, despise wisdom, and avoid wisdom, we have got a seriously miserable life ahead of us. A seriously miserable life. And even declares it right here at the end of this chapter. All they that hate me love death. So that sounds like the Bible's trying to polarize me on this subject. Yes, there are actually quite a few things that the believer needs to be completely polarized on. It doesn't mean that you're some kind of a violent radical and you're going to start some political movement and then start encouraging violence against others, okay? Some polarization is actually very, very good. And you learn that. We all learn that throughout the experiences of our life. You, you're, you're one way in your youthful naivety. You, you have these ideas in your mind, these rainbow ideas and unicorn ideas and things like that about how the world should work. I love my daughter, my beautiful, beloved daughter, who at the age of five or six, remember talking from, the, from her car seat in the back of the car on the way to church one night saying, everything should be free. Enter the wisdom of small children, okay? So, you know, you start out in your youthful naivety and your, with your youthful impressions and your youthful delusions about how wonderful socialism is. Notice how I just, just sort of slipped that in there, okay? Because something on the order of 50% of teenagers in America believe that socialism is a good idea. Why? Because they have not experienced its horrors and they have not learned even at a book level about the, the, the monstrous bloodshed that it brought to the human race throughout the 20th century. This is just by way of an example. So we start with our youthful ideas and then we actually go through something that savagely sometimes strips away all of our delusions about whatever that thing was. 
I would encourage the high schools, the public schools, and the public universities and colleges of the United States of America to organize a field trip to Venezuela and go live down there for three months, six months, a year. And as many as survive that dumpster fire of a, of a nation and what it's going through right now to come back. And then let's see who still believes in socialism. You go through something in your life and it opens your eyes to it and it changes you. You have learned wisdom. You have learned wisdom about a certain thing and it has galvanized you. It polarizes you in, on some things. Sometimes it completely changes your entire understanding and your position on that something. This is the way of life. It happens. Another way that I heard that described was, you know, a child who's been enchanted in the nursery. He's been enchanted in the nursery with tales of the Iliad and Greek, Greek mythology and all of that. But then in his later years, he goes to college or university or whatever, and he sits down to, he buckles down to really learning the Greek language. Well, that's very different now, isn't it? It's very different. Life changes us. And if we are believers, if we are born again Christians, sons and, sons and daughters of the Most High God, it will change us for the better. We have that promise from God through the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Romans. All things happen, all things happen for good for those that love God and who are, and who are the called according to his purpose. Well, that's the believer, that's the Christian. So let wisdom, well, we only showed, we shared one half of that thing. So if we hate and despise and avoid and, 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 and shun wisdom and all of that, we've got a terrible life ahead of us. We have a life ahead of us as fools, absolute fools. Not in the eyes of men, not just in the eyes of men, but in the eyes of God, in the eyes of everyone. We have a life ahead of us as fools, not learning things the hard way, but just living things the hard way and still never learning. But if we love wisdom, if we pursue wisdom, if we value wisdom more than rubies, more than gold, more than money, more than stocks in the stock market, more than money in the bank, more than our possessions, if we value wisdom more than all of these things, then wisdom will be a light and a guide and an informant and a, an informer, excuse me, and a teacher and a preserver and a kinswoman to us. Wisdom will make our lives here on the earth vastly better. Now, it's not to confuse wisdom with godliness. Godliness is godliness. Wisdom is wisdom. But wisdom is something that God has had with him since the beginning and before the beginning. And if wisdom was with God in the making of all things, then certainly wisdom with us will be just as beneficial. So our lesson tonight as we close, we conclude, brethren, value wisdom. Love wisdom. Pursue wisdom to the same extent even, perhaps, certainly at the same time as you pursue holiness of life. As you pursue a relationship with God, value wisdom and pursue wisdom. It's not, it's not, these things aren't mutually exclusive. They're all bound up together. At least they all ought to be. So value wisdom. Seek wisdom. Seek wise counsel. 
and she'll be a guide. She'll be an instructor. Next week, be at the will of the Lord. We'll, we'll wrap up with chapter 9. So we'll, why, why are we going to wrap up with chapter 9? Because chapter 9 kind of brings to a conclusion our first set of teachings because at the beginning of chapter 10 begins a whole different set. Even opens at the beginning of chapter 10 begins with the Proverbs of Solomon. So it's a different set of teachings. But we'll conclude series 1 with chapter 9 next week. If it pleases the Lord. Thank you for listening to Come to the Table, Bible studies from the New Testament Christian Church of Cheyenne. Included in these presentations are red-letter studies on the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, historical studies on the Old Testament, topical studies on biblical doctrines, and practical studies on Christian life. If you enjoyed this presentation, you can support our efforts by contributing at www.myntcc.org backslash Cheyenne WY giving.